Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Seeking Witchcraft. It's me, Ashley. And today I have an Ajanae and Ren. And the three of us, mostly them, but the three of us are going to be discussing a really interesting topic that... I think is going to cause some really serious thinking and contemplation for everyone, both during this discussion itself and well after it's done. This is a topic about using virtual reality in witchcraft spaces. And this is also a topic that I first heard discussed by Ajane about a year and a half ago. It was quite some time ago. When she first brought this up, I was on a call with some other people and she was asking about what we thought of the possibility of doing witchcraft in VR. And I got to tell you, my initial reaction was I was completely against it. I was like, absolutely no way. But it wasn't just me on the call. I was there with her and a couple of other friends. And I was like, okay, well, let me listen to them talk about it. And by the end of that call, I ended up with a different perspective. And I think I'm much more willing to be open to this as a possibility than when I first heard about it. But if you're like me and how I first thought about it right off the bat of thinking, absolutely not, there's no way this can be a thing, not now, not ever. I challenge you to at least hear out this episode and the discussion and hear what everybody has to say about it. I mean, I'll let you know when we were brainstorming together to come up for this topic, we ended up discussing for quite a long period of time. And, you know, Ren and Ajane were off talking about this one topic because they're both well-versed in VR and they would have this really long you know, thought about a particular thing. And then maybe it'd be like a 10 minute long thought and like two minutes in, they mention something and I go in this brain spiral of like, wait, what? And then they're off talking about something else. And once they're done, they're like, well, what do you think? And I'm like, I'm still stuck on the first thing you said. I'm doing a brain spiral right now, (laughs) like thinking of all these things. Um, So it was a really, really cool conversation that the three of us had. It was a cool conversation we had a year and a half ago. So I'm so excited to discuss this topic today because I'd really love to hear what everybody has to say, but I've been talking for a bit. So let me go ahead and have my guests introduce themselves. So thank you both so much for coming on. Please let the listeners know who you are. Hello, my name is Ajne. Um, I've been uh, into gaming and VR and stuff for quite a long time. Um, And I've been into witchcraft and that kind of stuff for about a year and a half now. So I'm excited to talk about the subject since I have an interest in both of those things. Thank you so much. Hey, and I'm Ren Robin. Um, I'm a a witch, um, a sorceress, a cultist. I'm also an academic um, and uh, I'm an initiate of Gardnerian Wicca. um, And I've been working in digital technologies for over 20 years. um, And really it's just been in the last couple of years that I've been trying to um, experiment more with digital technologies and especially interactive technologies um, in magical spaces and for magical purposes. Cool. Well, thank you both so much for coming on. Um, I know we talked a lot about this topic and one of the big things that we kind of came together was talking about how we want to make sure people know we're not trying to make ritual into a video game. <laughs> um, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that topic, but I don't know if the if either of you have anything you want to add about all of that stuff. 
Yeah, for sure. So um, I think it's important that people understand that this is just another way to look at um, witchcraft and uh, the occult and things like that, another way to maybe consider being able to, to practice, but it's not a replacement by any means. It is not, um, you know, this is not going to be like you have to do ritual this way or anything like that at all. Um, I would say it's just something to have an open mind about to consider if maybe for some people, if they are geographically separated from their um, from those they practice with their coven, whoever, um, having another means to be able to connect. And that's really all it is, is just finding other ways to connect. Yeah. And I would just add that um, uh, magical practices have always explored new technologies. I mean, that's just that really human nature drives us to explore new things and, and see what we can do and not do with them. Um, and I think being sensitive to what the technology is and what it serves best um, is a big part of the learning that goes into practicing magic. Um, if I keep notes on paper or if I keep notes on my computer, they serve different purposes and I'll, I'll steer them towards different types of note taking. And so the same thing is true when you're talking about um, digital technologies and magical practice. Um, but you have to sort of be willing to at least experiment and sometimes things don't work um, and that's okay. Um, and uh, this is not the same as like, using technology in a traditional magic circle either. This is a little bit different than that. Um, uh, you know, some people I know are very comfortable having Fitbits on and ritual in their ritual circle. I'm not personally, it makes me feel weird. Um, however, I'm very comfortable with using my Fitbit for magical purposes outside of that particular practice. So again, it's contextual. Yeah, and I'm hoping that after the end of this, I mean, this is mostly just us having a conversation about the possibility of this and kind of exploring what this can potentially look like and hoping that, I hope that people will at least be open to the idea of listening about this. Um, but, you know, I guess to start, we should probably talk about what exactly is VR or virtual reality. So I guess, uh, Ajna, you want to you wanna discuss that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Um, so what is VR, virtual, virtual reality, uh, and kind of what is that technology? Um, so really, it's engaging with virtual spaces um, through a medium. And currently, that medium is a screen that's usually strapped way too close to your face. <laughs> um, with VR, technology has advanced a lot. I mean, back in like the 80s, we had a uh, very simple, you know, a headset with like Nintendo that you could put on your head. Um, and it was just a little 2D game. And now it's progressed to the point where um, you can actually engage in virtual spaces online with tons of other people. There are several different games that allow you to do it. Um, you have wired setups, you have wireless setups and various different price points for it. Uh, and the technology continues to improve and get better. Um, Augmented reality is kind of an offshoot. We won't talk about that too much, but that's where you're taking uh, the virtual world and actually like overlaying it on the uh, the physical world as well through the screen. Uh, but for today, today, our focus is going to be talking about virtual reality being in a virtual space um, through using a headset or something like that. And um, I'm also going to mention metaverse because I know that that's been a buzzword that a lot of companies have started using. Um, people hear metaverse and I don't know, they think ready player one, if you've seen that movie where it's like this huge all in one like space. And uh, that is kind of one way to look at it. I know that's kind of what Facebook or meta is now trying to do with it. Um, but another way to think of like the metaverse, if you hear that is to think of it as just cyberspace. 
Um, so really all it is is just connecting people and things in a virtual world. And um, it can be through VR, games, uh, different community parts of the internet, all those sorts of things. Cool. Thanks for explaining that. Yeah, I, I personally never use VR. I've put on a headset once to take a tour of a gym. And by the tour, I mean, they just showed me the pictures of it, the exact ones they were on line and I was like I there's this this wasn't this is not virtual reality <laughs> um this is me looking at a 3d image with the headset on uh yeah so I don't have any personal experience in this topic which is why I'm so excited for the both of you to come on and talk about this um you know, when we were discussing this topic Ren actually brought up something that there is a history of people doing virtual rituals already which I had no idea about I thought this was a completely new concept but it turns out it's not Oh, yeah. And um, uh, the thing that's really interesting is that um, magical uses of digital technologies is probably as old as those technologies. It's just sussing out that history. That's a real challenge. And um, I would really ask historians of technology to please investigate this more so I can read the book. Um, but but basically, um, when I was uh, I'm, I'm 48, when I was um, a teenager, uh, I had a friend who hosted what was called a bulletin board system. And we would use that as basically the equivalent of Discord today, pretty much, um, to talk with each other. And you you called in with a dial-up internet. So you'd have a modem and you'd phone it in and you'd be connected and then you could chat with people. Um, and it was purely text-based. Um, and we used it mostly to talk about Dungeons and Dragons and figure out our game plan. But um, there were people using this uh, for magical purposes. So um, one of the first BBSs was actually the system called The Well, um, which was... Uh, uh, out in California, and it was it was a way for people to find music and hunt down information about music. But that became kind of a beginning point where people were using bulletin board systems for all kinds of communication for special topic interests. And when I was working on my podcast, Familiar Shapes, one of the uh, people I interviewed early on, um, and it didn't make it to that podcast, but it was really helpful, were two uh, old, uh, basically chaos magicians who were using uh, bulletin board systems back in the day to do ritual via chat. And so I know, sorry, my wind chimes are like going like crazy because that's, that's how I roll. <laughs> and anyway, it was really cool. They sent me the transcript of, of the ritual itself. And basically there was the usual sort of discord kind of chat where they were talking about what they were eating and finishing things up and getting ready. And then it was like reading a ritual script. And so they were each typing in their lines when it was their turn to do their thing. So, uh, and this was happening, you know, I guess in the eighties, right? So moving on to today, you know, during the pandemic, I think uh, it really forced a lot of people to rely heavily on different social medias just to keep up existing contact with um, your magical group. So if you were part of a coven-based practice or a lodge-based practice before the pandemic and all of a sudden you're online, you could either halt all group work or you could adapt it to work via um, digital technologies. And I think probably more people tried to figure out an adaptation rather than not. But uh, even before the pandemic, you know, we had platforms like Witchbox, rest in peace. I really miss it. I wish it would come back. Um, rest which in is peace, where... Witchbox. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I know. It's uh, all the feels. I mean, my, my, I think my third episode I ever did on the podcast, I talked about Witchbox, Witchbox. And to this day, I'm still getting messages about people asking me, but it's shut down. How do you find it? And I'm like, oh, it's gone. I'm sorry. I know. I mean, yeah. The, the other the other run of my heart was the one who ran that and um, you know, who has no idea who I am, but um, I'm really <laughs> grateful that Ren ran that as long as 
they did. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, uh, you know, Witchbox was like one of those first kind of digital platforms where you could find a group or find covens or find other witches in your area. Um, uh, certainly Yahoo Groups was doing that too. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think this history of digital tech is uh, is pretty old and not that new. Yeah, you know, I know with the height of the pandemic, people were using other social media type platforms such as Discord, for example, to do types of, um, you know, workings with each other. They might try to do a guided meditation together, for example, you know, and that wasn't totally far-fetched. You know, maybe one person plays a recording while everybody listens to it. And that happened all over the internet. That was very much a big thing that was going on, especially at the start of the pandemic, where people were trapped in their homes for quite some time. Um, and, you know, I at first, when, when we were going through our, our discussion about what to talk about today, I was like, well, man, you know, I, I was thinking, why do I have this bias where I'm open to doing, you know, maybe a guided meditation with my friends? Uh, while we're all on Discord, but why was I not open to the possibility of attending a VR ritual? And I was right. like, oh, I really have to think about that with myself. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think part of that goes back to um, sort of lore that we had. I'm not sure where the lore originates. Um, it would be good to know, but like this idea of like, don't wear your watch in the magic circle and don't take your cell phone in the magic circle. And, and the argument has always been that either the technology will go on the fritz and it'll ruin your phone, or, um, or the technology will somehow ruin the circle. Um, and, you know, if you want to think about the magical theory behind that, right, um, if, if you're an animist, and I am, um, uh, then everything has a sort of, you know, life force to it. Um, and I'm sort of like a radical animist. So I'm like ballpoint pen, you know, do my will. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, if, if you treat objects that are within a magic circle as, um, tools that require consecration, they require that purification um, uh, and, and being treated in a certain way rather than just an arbitrary thing in that space, um, they can be leveraged for that. So um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I started running my first outer court, um, which was fully online. Um, it was designed to be um, an accessible outer court for folks who, for geographic or economic reasons or physical ability, like couldn't get to um, a traditional initiatory coven. Um, and, you know, people ended up moving on to other things. But one of the things we found is that online ritual worked actually okay. It was, it, I knew I liked in-person ritual better. <laughs> um, but for many of them, it was their first ritual ever and they didn't have a comparison point. And so, and it was effective. Um, and we did manage to build an egregore and do some pretty, pretty effective magic. So I think it's, but it took some time to figure out how to do things. So we had to write like purifications and consecrations for the cell phones that were in the circle to make sure that they worked properly and that they kind of worked in harmony with the other tools in the space. Yeah, that's really interesting. Ron, I think you you made a really, really good point with technology being a tool. And as long as you go into it with that mindset and understanding, hey, this can enhance my practice, I could potentially use it as another means to practice. Um, and kind of understanding, you know, consecrating it and things like that as well then it becomes just another extension, just like anything else we use. So technological advances sometimes can be scary because it can go outside of what people are used to for um, practice or whatever they're doing. Um, but, you know, again, if it's just a tool, then you can use it in similar or even new ways to enhance um, your practice and how you're 
um, yeah, how you're practicing witchcraft. Yeah. I mean, um, one of the things that we talked about a little bit last time, uh, going back to VR specifically is the, the, the promise of it in terms of accessibility. Um, so right now VR, um, has some, the major problems are its cost point. It's too expensive for a lot of people. Um, and also the bulkiness of the headset. If you have a really small frame or if, uh, you're just a yeah petite person, um, they get really, really heavy, um, over, a pretty short amount of time. And so if you have a two hour long ritual, it's going to get tough. Um, but, you know, both those points are changing quite quickly. Um, and so uh, there's a lot of promise for folks. Again, you know, those I'm, I'm thinking about the folks who I know who are geographically isolated, especially because um, there is a climate impact. If you are driving, you know, five, six hours twice a month to get to your coven, um, that it's problematic. Right. Um, it's and uh, VR technologies have their own carbon footprint, you know, that you'd have to do that math for yourself. Um, however, uh, it does provide another option that might actually be more sustainable, um, both in terms of, of um, uh, the impact of our actions on the planet, but also in terms of accessibility. Um, and so the other thing is thinking about people who have physical disabilities who can't do conventional coven-based work or maybe want to do a particular type of working that requires a certain action that they're, they're physically incapable of doing, but in a VR space, they absolutely could. Um, so when we're thinking about astral spaces or the different sort of spheres of reality, um, one of the things we should be thinking about is like, what does that mean in a virtual space? Cause clearly it's real. We experience it. And, and, um, Ajne, you can talk about this way better than I can. Um, uh, but I think investigating what the nature of that reality is, it's different than physical reality and it's different than, uh, doing an astral, you know, working, but it is its own space. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that's, for me, what kind of helped with the idea is seeing it as um, like we have, I'm trying to think how I want to say this. So the world as we see it is all through our senses. And um, you can argue that it exists separate of your senses, or it's kind of um, based off your perceptions, but in the end, our senses is what tell us about the world. So the virtual world is kind of the same thing. It's still using your eyes, still using your ears. Um, and then there's other senses, uh, as technology gets better can also be incorporated. So it's still relying on your senses and it's a, another space and it may not be the world as we see it with our, our physical being normally. Um, but, your mind is still accessing it and you're still connecting with others, um, you know, through that space. And again, that connecting to me is the key of why it's even like something we're talking about. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking too, um, you know, we've discussed a little bit about phantom sense too. Would you be able to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> within the VR community, um, I've got way too much time on uh, <laughs> a lot of VR games uh, within the VR community, there's what's often talked about as as phantom sense, and it's kind of a um, almost like not really an evolution, but it's kind of an adaptability of people um, when you don't have that physical touch normally accessible within a virtual space. Um, so there's been some different medical studies that have kind of looked at it, but the the gist of the idea is if you see something touching your virtual avatar your brain translates it as, hey, my physical self should feel this, so I'm going to replicate that like that nerve sensation. 
Um, so for instance, if someone touches me in VR, touches my avatar, I'll feel a faint sense on my actual physical body. Um, and that sounds outlandish, I'm sure, to some people because it's not real. Um, but the medical science behind it, um, I forget who did the study, but they basically had um, like this study with like in the real world um, where they would like touch a person's hand with like a pin and be like, do you feel this? And it's like, yes, I feel this. Okay. So then they would put like a wall between the person's eyes, you know, what they can see and where the hand is. And they would touch their hand again and say, do you feel this? And they say, yeah, I can feel that. And then they manipulated that space to where the person couldn't tell that they actually were now touching a mannequin, not the person's hand. And then they said, do you feel this? And they said, yes. And then they gave the person a very slight glimpse of it and said, do you feel this? And they said, yes. And so the idea being basically if people think that they're feeling something, their brain will replicate that nerve sensation. And I don't fully understand it more than that. I'm sure that there's some neuroscientists who can explain it a lot better than I can. Um, but especially for a lot of people like me who've spent way too much time in VR, um, you get to a point where it starts to be like a lot of people, it's like their faces, but eventually it's all over their body. Um, and it kind of just enhances connectivity, the ability to connect with other people. Um, Again, this will sound outlandish, but I've cuddled with friends and stuff in VR and full body technology. You know, it's tracking all of your movements and um, there's even face tracking now. So it can track like your facial movements and stuff like that. And someone, you know, just like touches your arm or something, you know, to tap you to get your attention. And if your eyes see it, then, you know, my body will say, hey, someone's tapping your arm right now. And it just works. And <laughs> again, not a neuroscientist, so I'm sure there's more to it than that. But I think that that idea, the phantom sense, especially, you know, for those who have it, not everyone kind of has it, kind of tends to be, I think, um, different people, how much time they spend in VR kind of can get stronger. But I think that um, that phantom sense can kind of help bridge a little bit of that gap with not having physical touch and potentially that could be useful to some people in a uh, like a virtual ritual space if they wanted to practice in that space. Um, because even though there's not the physical touch, at least not the technology is not to that point yet, um, it might still kind of allow them to feel like it is. And having that sensation for them may be enough to still be what their practice needs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I was just listening to an interview with Harper Feist the other day, uh, talking about um, uh, scrying practices. And, you know, one of the, the points that Harper makes, which I think is so important, is that when, when we're thinking about um, scrying or conjurations, often we're thinking about like, you know, full physical um, manifestation of a spirit. Um, and the reality is that happens incredibly seldomly, um, hardly ever. Um, but if you um, train yourself and you practice uh, sort of uh, listening with internal senses, as it were, uh, you can start to hear things or feel things. Um, for me personally, if I, if I get things, usually I'll smell something if I'm lucky <laughs> or like maybe get a sense of shift in temperature. And I think that's, that's relatively common. I'm not great. I'm not like, that's not my, my superpower by any means, but I think, um, 
with that, you know, uh, people who are really skilled with that, they, they emphasize to folks like me, <laughs> like just keep practicing and keep training and it takes time. And I think your point about the phantom sense in VRs is no doubt the same thing that like, as you train with a new magical tool or practical tool, whatever, you will get better at it and you'll learn to discover things and innovate with that thing too. Um, and so I think uh, thinking about how maybe, and this just struck me now, you're talking about that, maybe how VR spaces and cultivating um, a sensory experience that's broader than just a visual one within VR, um, and then practicing those same skills in the physical meat space when you're doing um, conjurations, you know, maybe then it becomes a tool to help you practice that idea of, of a broad sensory awareness and not just a really, the kind of uh, immediate uh, sensory awareness that we're kind of trained into existing within in our daily lives. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. <laughs> yeah, it'd be really cool to see somebody kind of tailoring an entire experience around this or an entire magical practice about this, because there's a couple things you have to do. I mean, one of them is you definitely have to get used to shifting that thought pattern or, you know, I, I talk a lot about the ritual mindset. Um, and I wonder, is the ritual mindset going to look the same if you're going to do an in-person ritual versus a VR ritual? Probably not because a VR ritual is going to involve, you know, having a headset on, you know, you have the full body trackers. You got to make sure you're not going to bump into anything if you're in a room. Um, definitely not lighting candles if you're wearing, at least not in person in VR, sure, but not in person. Please do not do that. Uh, for the love of all the gods, do not do that. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it'd just be really interesting to see how a type of magical practice can evolve uh, to tailor a VR space um, and like what that would look like. And also, you know, if you want to get into more, I mean, we're talking about witchcraft, but the quote unquote woo woo of this, um, let's talk about, you know, spirits. How, how do they enter the virtual world? Like why couldn't they enter the virtual world? You know, if they can transcend time and space itself, why can't they go into a VR space? That's a different type of reality, you know? There is obviously, and Ren, you talked a little bit about this, that using technology in magical settings, sometimes, you know, things can go on the fritz. But you hear stories about people getting phantom calls or texts from their deceased loved ones who have passed on years prior. And they get these voicemails of their loved one saying hi or bye or something. And this is not, you know, this doesn't happen very often, but there have been enough cases where you have heard of people most likely doing that or experiencing this. And um, it brings in that question of, okay, if you're trying to invoke spirits or gods or what have you in these virtual settings, you know, it sounds kind of like, oh, well, there's no way that could happen. But if you kind of take a step back and be like, well, why not? Why couldn't that happen? Um, yeah. And then I just, you know, when we talked about this, I just went through a whole thought spiral of, well, wait, this, hold on, <laughs> um, because, you know, I was so against it at first, but then once I really questioned it, I didn't have a, an answer of why it couldn't happen. And maybe somebody listening to this has something they're thinking of saying, okay, well, it couldn't happen because of X, Y, and Z. And I'd be more than happy to hear that conversation. But um, for myself, I couldn't think of a reason of why I couldn't. Yeah. And I think, I think it's useful to just keep an open mind about things and, um, and challenge, you know, we talk about in witchcraft spaces, we talk about discernment a lot. Um, and I think part of that discernment is, um, knowing our own implicit biases. Uh, so, uh, I know that I have biases about technology. Um, but I know most of those relate back to fatigue, you know, like I, 
Um, I don't like doing Zoom rituals just because I get tired of staring at a screen and it trashes my eyesight. Um, however, um, doing the practice and repeatedly and having data and taking notes on that, that practice, you know, keeping a magical journal about ritual after that ritual has happened has helped me build up a sort of, well, I mean, I hate to use data set, but that basically is what it is. I'm um, saying this works really well. This was problematic that night. Let's try to investigate why it's problematic. Um, and very often it wasn't technology related, right? It's like, oh, I was coming down with something and I got full blown sick the next day. Um, so I think the things that get in the way of magical practice and digital spaces probably aren't going to be that different than the things that get in the way in physical spaces. Um, and the first of those is our own brains, right? Like how, how much are we psychologizing something that we should just let happen? Um, or how much are we overthinking things? Um, or how much are we underthinking things after the fact and not discerning, you know? Um, so I think, uh, and, and going back to that idea of spirits and technology, um, you know, I, I think, uh, part of that is your own personal, um, theology, right? So you can be, um, an atheist, non-animist and be a witch, right? That's a, that's a thing. Um, and if your worldview of that, uh, makes you decide that things that are immediate and organic and of the earth are inherently more sacred than things that are man-made, that's okay. Like that's a valid way of viewing your magical practice, your religious practice. Um, and like, I think it's, uh, it, I think it's useful. I just wrote a blog post about it. I think it's useful for people to remember that um, the practices of others aren't actually impacting yours. You know, you make that decision if it impacts you or not. And that's that's on you. Um, but learning about the practices of others doesn't. Um, and so uh, if you decide, you know, this technology and your work, magical workspace will never die, that's OK. Right. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it is useful to go through that process and asking yourself, why am I blocking something off from my magical practice? Right. Like, um uh, am I blocking it off because it'll threaten my job and get me fired? That's a really good reason to block it off. You know what I'm saying? Um, but if you're blocking it off and you realize that you don't really have a good reason, then, you know, just, just be aware of that. That doesn't mean you need to do it either. Just know your own, your own space. Yeah. And I, I think you, you really hit the nail on the head with, um, how do we get in our own way? Um, with, you know, our brains and stuff with the practice. Like if I know for me, I'm a little bit younger. Um, so technology has always been a big part of my life. Um, you know, the internet and all those things, it, it's always been a big part. And so, uh, for a lot of people who grew up that way, who are used to it, the idea of connecting through virtual space may not be very foreign at all, it may be very comfortable for them. Um, I've got some friends who, due to the pandemic, <laughs> a good deal of their social life in the past two years has only been virtual, um, you know, in VR. I, I have some friends who even sleep in VR, which I don't quite get, but, you know, that's that's up to them. <laughs> um, so for some people like that, who it is such a, a common thing that they're used to, you know, doing ritual in a virtual space may more make more sense. It may be a tool that is really useful for them. And maybe something um, that is, you know, great for them to look into. If there's other people who have been practicing a certain way and that has helped them out a lot, you know, in the physical world, in the real world, um, 
and technology is very foreign to them. They're not used to it. They're not as um, knowledgeable on it. And it's going to get in the way of them being able to do ritual or connect with others that may not be a useful tool anymore. That may be, not be something that they they really need that really helps them. Um, and I think for covens and groups who might consider this <laughs> technology as a possibility, I would just be mindful of both groups. Be mindful of the people who are more comfortable with technology and those who are less comfortable with it. And um, like like Ashley talked about with um, the pandemic, you know, technology was useful for a lot of people, but not everyone. Some covens probably found ways to still meet in person only, not in physical, or not in digital spaces because it didn't help their practice. And I would say the same thing applies here. If this is not going to help you, then don't do it. It's as simple as that. But I think having an open mind and considering, hey, is this something that could help me? Is this something that could help others that is not going to be a hindrance to me? I think is a valid consideration. And as long as people are considering that and have an open mind and can talk about it, I think that alone is beneficial. You know, I think you 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 got it correct where you described this as a tool, um, especially for people who are just starting out, um, even hearing this topic in general, who might be interested in this. I don't think that v using VR can be a replacement for every single thing you do. I think that there are certain traditions that have to be in person. They have to be experienced that they can't be replicated over VR at all. Um, but that's, you know, that's a tradition that it was built a certain way. It wasn't built a way to, you know, transcend onto a virtual reality space. Um, that's not to say though, that there might not be able to be different groups that come out of this, uh, specifically for VR. I, I mean, Ren just showed this link for this thing called a VR mystery school that we, we had no idea existed until right, right before we were about to record. And it was the coolest thing. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is already starting to happen. And we had no idea. Um, yeah, yeah. And they, they've been around for a little while too. So it's it's it predates the pandemic, which is the, the other thing I think that's really cool about that. Um, and I think I think there's a lot of so my in my my life my regular life I'm an artist professionally and and, and an academic, um, and so one of the things that I explore in my my technology based art is is my magical practice. Um, but uh, one of the things that I think a lot of people are talking about is um, uh, creating new virtual spaces or interactive spaces to explore that, that, you know, push those boundaries of what magic can do. Because I think, I think if we're really self-honest, it's like, you know, uh, uh, silicon isn't going to stop a spirit, right? <laughs> like actually it probably is a really good conduit. Um, so, um, uh, but we won't really know until we kind of are, are creatively exploring those things. And I think um, uh, there's some augmented reality works, which um, uh, there's a, a piece at the Victoria Albert called the uh, Medusa. Um, let me see if I can find that name. Well, it was a Medusa project. I'll, I'll, Ashley, I'll get you the link so you can share it. Um, but it was this beautiful augmented reality work. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously, if you are a devotee of Medusa or the Gorgons, like this could potentially be um, a, a, a temple-like space for you um, in this public sphere of the Victoria Albert. So I think thinking about how we can use um, uh, 
XR, which is a augmented reality, virtual re- reality, mixed reality, to then extend what that ritual space looks like. Um, uh, there's a lot of possibility and innovation there. And I would just say, if, if you're listening to this and you're a technologist, oh my gosh, please please make the things so we can try them out. Because um, I think it's it's the way innovation is going to happen in that. Um, and, you know, with, with uh, specific um, traditions that have a practice that's really anchored in a, a physical space, um, I don't think I'm the brave enough person to innovate that, honestly. But um, I would also say, again, being aware of my own biases, um, I do think that that's something that could be innovated. I think traditions change over time. I think it's really important. I think every occultist should take a religious studies class, first and foremost. I think it's really important for people to understand just how like complex and rich and messy uh, magical religious practices are globally and historically. Um, and then realizing where we fit within that. Um, and that every practice changes and evolves over time. And that's a beautiful thing. And it's human. Um, and that rather than freaking out about it, <laughs> you know, just just be aware of it and know what's sacred and important to keep the same. And, and then ask yourself, like, why? Just check in with yourself periodically. Um, but I think looking for uh, technological innovation in magical spaces is something, you know, we could all get involved in. Um, there's lots of really easy ways to learn how to program and to learn how to do digital works. Um, and there's apps like Adobe, Adobe's AR uh, beta, which is free right now, which means it'll be a bazillion dollars next month. Um, but you can do small experiments in digital spaces without really any technical background, but you just have to decide you're willing to do that experimentation. You know, as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about just technology in circle in general. And, you know, there might be people out there who are very anti anything involved in this. And, you know, I, I just think, you know, what what does a basic ritual look like? OK, you know, you're in the dark. There's some candle lights, incense burning, what have you. Um, and how that might have evolved from, let's say, 50 years ago to today. Uh, I would say I know quite a number of people, myself included, that when I'm doing my own solitary work or, you know, my own eclectic stuff, I absolutely have music playing in the background. I would say that's a form of technology being involved in my my space. Um, you know, I'm, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm playing music off a speaker. I am playing just music in general, <laughs> you know, um, that might sound like, you know, kind of crazy to say, oh, well, you know, I guess I'm using technology in circle. It doesn't feel like that because, you know, using speakers and music, that's such an ingrained part of at least my life. Like I'm constantly playing music. I'm sure the majority of people listening to this, I mean, this is a podcast. So you're probably listening to this on Spotify or Apple. I'm sure you probably listen to a lot of music as well. Um, if you're listening to music in your background while you're, you know, casting a circle, you're using technology in your space. It may not feel like it, but it is, it's ingrained there. Oh, yo, I live in the South. You you better know we use HVAC in our magic circle. Oh, <laughs> my God. Oh, yeah. I didn't. You know what? <laughs> Good point. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. If, if it's if it's hot enough or if it's cold enough, we're turning on the air or the heater. My you coven know? sister specifically, she she uh, she gets cold real easily. And um, if I don't have the heater on, she will go sneak and turn it on before we do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think um, if you really start to think about the different materia magica that we're using, um, you know, if, if if you have a carpet on the ground, right? Um, if you look at the fibers of that, it's probably partially polyester, right? Um, which, you know, you can like 
mind trick yourself into saying, okay, like a long time ago, that that polyester that was plastic, basically, um, not basically, is plastic, um, was once these like organic organisms and, you know, it's, it's, they were living things and therefore it's not that different than a lion skin belt or whatever. You could argue that to yourself. Um, but, uh, but it is right. Like it is, it is a very different material than say cotton or wool or something like that. And that, again, it goes back to that idea of um, where are you drawing that line between, Oh, it's too man-made to be magical. And that's, that's basically what's happening. Um, you know, the Othame is man-made, you know, your pentacle is man-made. So um, lighters are man-made. Yeah. Matches for sure. Um, so uh, all of these things um, have our hands involved in that craft at some point. And I think um, maybe it's like a weird sort of uh, pagan puritism, but like our hands are magical right? Like our hands are of the gods, I think, in my theology. So why would something that's from them not be magically sacred too? Um, do we do terrible things? Absolutely, we do terrible things. Um, and we've created horrible things and plastic is a big problem. Um, but I think it, it's important to be um, a little ecumenical about it, I guess. Yeah, and, and I think all of this is to say that technology and man-made things incorporate themselves already in these magical spaces but it's so ingrained into what we do that we don't really think of it as a man-made thing being included in, in what we're already practicing um i mean i certainly didn't until we started talking about this and i'm like oh shit yeah yeah <laughs> air conditioning music if we're using a lighter you know these are all man-made things yeah you know there was something that we had talked about as well that uh, in terms of future technology, not just with VR, but, um, you know, I, I, I believe both of you had said at one point, um, or Ajna, it might have just been you, about how um, technology is evolving. And right now it is quite expensive. It, it's not a feasible option for everybody. I mean, I know myself, I, I don't necessarily have the ability to go out and just buy an Oculus whenever I want to. <laughs> I don't own one <laughs> for a reason. Um and, you know, I think that as time goes on, like these prices are obviously going to get lower. Um, you know, I think that we're still some time out from that, but maybe not in our lifetime, but the next one after that, uh, this technology is going to probably just be pretty ingrained in society. Now, let's talk about something that might sound a little outlandish, but is a technology that actually does exist, but it is very expensive. And so you don't really, you know, the, the normal layperson doesn't have access to this. And that's holograms. If you go to Disney, you go to Universal, you go to any of the big theme parks, you will see a hologram. There's a Ripley's near me that has a hologram. One of these days, there's probably going to be the equivalent of, I'm going to say her name and she's going to start talking to me, but an Alexa. Okay, she, she stopped lighting up. But, <laughs> you know, there's probably going to be some equivalent of that where you you have that, but you say, hey, project me into so-and-so's house or whatever and you know then all of a sudden you're a hologram and you're in their living room and you can see them and they can see you um you know how would it look like to do you know to be a hologram at a ritual <laughs> like if you're kind of there you know you're in the I, I don't know like it, it it just it causes a whole thought spiral of what the possibilities could look like as technology increases i mean i don't think holograms are in the near future whatsoever I don't even know what that would look like to be on the other end of that. 
but it's it just something that I really start thinking about. And yeah, I mean, I just wonder how far this will go. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. Technology continues to advance. And I think um, science fiction has had a lot of ways of envisioning how it might advance. And so we've got some ideas. Star Trek did the whole hologram stuff. I know some stuff has even had holograms that had some sort of like physical, like, body as well like made of different materials or whatever but even if that technology is far out the idea being that it's still connecting with other people and it's still um maybe even in like the real space in the real world um having that hologram that would feel like someone's there even if they're not even if they're geographically separated and i think that technology as it continues to advance becomes a possibility as it is like augmented reality does a little bit of that already um, there's been HoloLens and I know like Google made some glasses at some points and there's been attempts to, Hey, can we overlay, you know, someone from a virtual space in the physical space using the glasses? Like that technology is already being developed. Um, and the holograms, like you talked about, even though the price obviously is not something the normal person, normal consumer can buy, that technology does exist as well. and you know, if, if you're still connecting with people, like if that's what you need in your practice, um, however you're practicing is that connection and you're obtaining it through the technology again as a tool, then I think that it can be useful. Um, and then additional technological considerations to consider. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if anyone who's listening has ever seen Sword Art Online, the idea of playing not maybe not playing, but being in a virtual space using your brain connected through a device. Um, so like actually tying in your consciousness to a virtual space, that technology is probably a far ways out. But if that occurs someday in the future, you know, it's kind of an extension of this conversation. What happens then to all your senses? You're really there, you know, to everyone else's senses. You're really there. It is almost as though, and maybe not, it, it may not be, but it's almost as though it's almost another like plane of existence. And I think that that's a cool conversation to have, considering that, hey, the virtual space can actually be seen as potentially another plane of existence, another aspect of existence. And I think going back to a little bit of what I was talked about earlier with spirits and stuff like that, if those spirits are already existing and um, interacting with this plane of existence, who is to say they can't exist and interact with the virtual one? And as the virtual one continues to be developed and continues to be enhanced, and as our ability to access it in whatever way that is, in whatever way we desire, whatever way is useful as a tool, as that continues to get developed, maybe the way that we could interact with those spirits or um, entities, whatever, in the virtual space, that might also improve. So again, it's just a conversation to have. It's something to consider. But I think that that is, um, you know, it's a cool thought. And it's a, it's a cool thing to potentially explore for some people. It's pretty mind-blowing. I'm just taking it all in, just thinking about everything we've talked about so far. Um, you know, in terms of you were talking about some glasses, like an overlay where maybe you can see somebody else. Uh, I actually what, two nights ago, um, found out that if you go on Google right now and you type in a certain breed of cat, um, or just any cat, honestly, you can 
they have this thing there where it says view in your room. And so it'll tap into the camera on your phone and it'll map out the exact size of what that cat looks like. So you can know how big it is in your space. And I was playing around with this because I, I, I don't ask me why I was looking at a cat at 11 p.m., you know, <laughs> which problems. But uh, it was I, I was like shook about it. I mean, it's so simple, but it, it's something that a tech, the technology already exists. It, it, it's in a way. And that was just something like a simple Google, Google search on my phone. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's. You know, there's so there's two things with that. One is um, between your cat and Alexa. Sorry, Alexa. Um, <laughs> there's there's definitely a thing about like um, a magical servitor or a, a very good familiar, as they would say, um, being a digital assistant, right? Um, so I'm I'm waiting for the day that somebody's going to hack uh, Siri or Alexa. I'm sure it's probably already happened actually um, to make them the best, you know, the best familiar. Um, but the other thing within all of that, too, is, is there there are issues of security. And I think um, one of the challenges with uh, technolo- technology development is that it's very fast in that it's not it's fast thinking, too. It's not the development of uh, the fastness of that. That's the problem. It's the fact that there's not a lot of time for reflection about the impacts of things. And of course, we see that, you know, most manifest in challenges with bias and AI. Um, uh, racial bias in AI is, is hugely damaging. Um, and it's once that technology is already out in the world, it's really, really hard to rein it back in. Um, and so technologists, for the most part, to their credit, um, are really trying hard to figure out um, better sustainable and ethical workflows to prevent damage done by new technologies. Um, uh, There's a podcast called Ethical AI that has some really great discussions about how to approach that. Totally not magical at all, but definitely relevant to how we employ digital technologies um, in a magical practice, um, especially if it involves other people. Um, and so, uh, one of the things to just be aware of, if you're, if you're starting to explore or think about, um, uh, magical practice using digital technologies is cybersecurity and just taking, doing some due diligence. I think we all should do more due diligence about cybersecurity in general. Um, but especially if you're involving other people in a magical practice, um, when I had my online OC, um, it, there was a lot of legwork done um, to figure out the best end-to-end encryption system for the video feed um, because the way we do outer court training in my group is you start off skyclad and then gradually as people move closer towards initiation, um, we work into we work into getting comfortable with, um, or, sorry, we start robed and then we work into being skyclad. Um, and uh, there's huge trust issues in that and just any space. Right. And that takes a long time and processing and patience. Um, and one of the challenges was we might all trust each other to not take a screen grab. Right. Like, cause that's a thing. Um, but we also have to be able to t- trust this technology to not violate that as well. Um, and that, that took a lot of attention that I think is, is something you don't have to think about in a physical space as much. Um, so it's just, it's a, it's a little bit of a complicating wrinkle in it. Um, but that still doesn't mean you shouldn't try it. <laughs> I, I hadn't even considered that. That's a really good point to make about the cybersecurity of that. Yeah. And I've got something that kind of goes along with that as well. Um, thinking about like, 
staying safe through virtual mediums. And the thing to consider is you don't want people to create false experiences either. And I think that that is something that definitely needs to be considered when you're talking about doing any sort of magical working in a virtual space is um, since we rely on our senses so much for understanding, you know, how things are working, if it's progressing the way that you're looking for it to do so, then um, it's important that you don't have people manipulating those senses to give a false sense of what's actually occurring. So what did that mean? I'm kind of using, I'm talking around it. You wouldn't want, for instance, to be in a VR um, game or medium or whatever for someone to create false interactions with the spirit or something where it's all scripted and it's all like, you know, hey, we're going to do this thing and you light a candle and then something appears. It becomes more of a video game than it does like an actual um, way to do magical workings. And I think that that is probably going to be that consideration is probably going to be a big barrier for some people is because how do you prevent that from occurring? And going back to what Ren said, I think a big important part of that is trust. So you need to be able to trust the people that you are practicing with. And that's true in the real world too. Um, I think being able to trust, but it, it's, I think in the real world, it's a little bit easier because you are used to your physical senses and it's a little bit easier to kind of gauge how people are acting and what's going on and those sorts of things to make sure you're not being manipulated. Same is going to have to eventually be true of virtual spaces too, especially if you're doing things in VR, you know, with the headset on an existing platform like VR chat or something like that, if people are using that, um, being able to trust the people that you're interacting with, that you're um, doing magical workings with, that they aren't trying to manipulate you with, um, you know, the medium itself in your workings is going to be huge. And hopefully, eventually, someone can create a better, more reliable system. You know, I don't want to, I don't use the word game because it sounds like I'm making it like that, but, you know, uh, an interactive software for VR, for people to do magical workings in where you can go, hey, I know that this has been stated as safe. It's been consecrated already. You know, no one's trying to use this to manipulate me. And there's some trust built in. So that way, when you start working with, with people, you already know, hey, I feel like I can trust that they're not going to use this medium, this um, VR medium as a way to manipulate me in these magical workings. So hopefully that will be developed. I don't know of it existing yet, but hopefully it will reach that point eventually. I mean, I know you have a lot of experience with VR spaces and everything. And, you know, I've never used VR, so I have no idea what any of this would look like. But if either of you were to create a VR space ritual, you know, what would that look like? Is there like a room that you make that you send a code to, you know, can you design it? online on your computer first and then put on your headset like I have no idea how any of this works yeah so I've got a fair amount of experience with VR chat that's the uh, the VR platform that I use the most there's lots of other other games out there but since that's what I'm familiar with that's what I'll talk about um, VR chat is fairly open source and it uses unity for avatar creation and udon for um, game world creation um, both of those are also open source so anyone can be able to do that kind of development um, VRChat is also free, which is another way that it's not a barrier for people. Obviously, you need the software or the hardware, but at least the, the software not being um, any cost that helps. Um, so with that, what I could envision a, um, 
a ritual or something like that occurring in VR chat is um, I would probably use full body tracking. So that means you've got tracking on your head, um, your hands. Um, I use um, controllers that are able to do finger uh, detection as well. So if I move my fingers, it shows that on my avatar and then on the waist or hip and then on the feet. And so what that ends up doing is projecting pretty much all of your movements, all the things that would be important at least. Um, and from there, so that allows to have a projection effective essentially um, of myself, my real self into the virtual space in VR chat. Then um, I would have probably the ritual tools that I'm going to use, whatever that I've chosen to consecrate, however I've chosen to do that in the virtual space. Um, I would probably have those set up initially. I might have the world space be dark um, just to kind of help with that. Um, and then people could be able to join. Um, you could, however you choose to do ritual. Um, again, going back to what Ashley said, it's not a replacement. Um, but however you choose to do it, in the virtual space, you would have that. Um, and then there is emerging technology for senses, like um, you can actually get sense, so smell. Um, there's also, um, I was seeing something the other day about like a haptic device that uses, I forget what it uses, but it's actually able to make it feel like something is touching your face. I think it uses like very small like waves or something. I don't know. I'm not sure about the technology and how safe it is. Um, but as that continues to get developed, potentially you could have smell. You might have at least face, touch, be able to feel it. Um, you've got the hands. You um, like being able to pick up objects and things like that. Uh, and then obviously your ears and then your eyes. So then you can incorporate all of those senses understanding their limitations as well into the ritual. So you could have a fire that's lit so you can see it. Um, if you have that smell device um, that's linked to your VR system, then you could potentially be able to smell something with incense as well. Um, with touch movement, all those sorts of things, being able to use finger movement with the controllers, you could be able to pick up objects, wrap your hand around it. So visually, your brain is telling you, I'm holding this. Um, the controllers that I use in particular, the valve uh, knuckle controllers are shaped enough that it could feel like you're holding an athame or something like that. Um, then from there, um, any of the other senses you could have, again, with the smell. Um, so if you had various different objects that could be incorporated, um, if you wanted to, if they eventually make the technology for feeling things on the face um, more accessible, then um, you could have wind and different aspects of that or even potentially water and be able to feel that. So kind of the picture I'm painting is a lot of the ways that you may already be doing ritual in the real world, you may be able to incorporate into the virtual world. And obviously the caveat being that there is a cost for that technology and that is prohibitive for a lot of people. Going back to what we said earlier, hopefully that will get cheaper and more accessible as time goes on. Um, <laughs> using as an example, cell phones. Cell phones used to be really expensive, and some of them still are. The new ones are. But you can get a, a smart cell phone that can access the internet and do all the basic things you need for very little money with under $100 now. It may not be the cool new thing, but you can at least do the basic stuff. So that technology has gone from 
thousands of dollars, the original cell phones to now hundred dollars or less. So as an example, that technology, that same type of cost prohibitiveness may decrease as time goes around. Um, might have some of this technology that is not very accessible yet may eventually become more accessible. I think it's possible you may see some of that stuff be available and not be too expensive within the next five years. Um, and once it does, as it becomes more available, those who are adopting it earlier may be able to incorporate it into their um, their magical workings. Uh, maybe before others, but still, that may be a tool that they could potentially use to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think... Um... One of the things with that is that, um, so for instance, if you if you want to talk about price points with that too, there's Google Glasses, um, which is basically, uh, you know, in one version of it, it's like a piece of cardboard, literally, that, that holds your phone. So the price point in that is that you do have to have a phone with certain capabilities to, to play uh, apps that are designed for Google Glasses. Um, but in those cases... Um, basically to move around or to pick up things or interact with things, you look for an extended period of time at an object. And usually what it does is it casts kind of a light ray to like kind of confirm that you're looking at a particular thing and you want to interact with it. And when you keep looking, then it registers that as like, oh, you want to walk over here, or pick this up. Um, and then it'll do that action. So it's working purely off of where you're looking. Um, uh, so, uh, and in terms of accessibility, that's amazing, right? Um, the, the challenge with VR is that um, it's, it's right now, um, and I imagine this will change someday, it's kind of an all or nothing space, right? So if you want to pick up your virtual Athame, you can do that. But if you want to pick up your real Athame, you'd have to put down the controller and then, you know, so that, that is the trade-off with it. Um, and I think, uh, but I have a feeling that's one of those things that will hybridize at some point. I don't know how far off that would be. Um, but it'll happen. Um, in terms of uh, things, so I, I mean, I, I use an Oculus Quest 2, um, and mostly I've played dumb exploratory <laughs> games because they're really pretty. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not really a good person to like speak on, on VR chat or anything like that. I've sort of stuck my nose in and, and clearly now I need to go back and spend time in the VR mystery school. Cause that sounds just super fascinating. Okay. So, um, but I have been working on my own, uh, VR space, uh, with a friend. Um, it's going to be basically a virtual temple to the goddess Hecate. Um, and it's a devotional space. So the idea is that you would go in and there's going to be different sort of stations uh, related to her mythology, but also sort of Western mystery traditions in general. Um, and uh, and it's, a, it's a social space in the sense that um, you'll be able to be there and other people will be able to be there. You'll be aware of them, but it's, it's a quiet, it's going to probably be a quiet devotional space. I don't know. We haven't really talked that, that far yet. Um, and right now, um, we started developing it in A-Frame, actually, which is a, a, a kind of great um, uh, add-on for WebGL so that you could do, um, uh, we could basically launch this VR on WebGL so it could run on your phone. And then that makes it possible to use Google Glasses. And then we kind of ran into some challenges with that and we're like, screw it, it's just not worth the effort. Also, I'm a I'm an artist, I'm not a technologist. So my my friend who I'm working with is a technologist and I'm, I'm like, I know he's got a life too. So <laughs> there's things, um, but, uh, but right now um, I'm sort of working on a prototype in uh, Unity Engine, um, which is, uh, um, 
uh, Ajani mentioned it. It's a great, it's an open source engine. Um, if you've never done any kind of programming at all, and you're just like, I really want to try this. I strongly recommend downloading Unity Engine. It's free. Um, if you make like a million dollars, then you have to pay them like 5% or something. So poor you. Um, but, uh, but basically it's free. And, um, one of the things that I really like about it is they have such some of the best learning resources I've ever seen anywhere. So if you are brand, brand new to coding, if the word coding terrifies you, it's actually a really good way to learn about programming. Even if you decide you never want to make anything after it, if you want to learn the basic concepts of programming, um, it's it's got really great resources for that. So I strongly recommend it. Um, we're probably going to move over to Godot, which is another open source game engine. It does 2D and 3D. Um, I'm not, I'm just learning it, so I, I can't, can't speak too much to it. Um, but, uh, I, but I think thinking the things that we've been sort of asking ourselves as we're developing this is, um, you know, what's the nature of how do other people look in this space? So, you know, the thing we're probably going to settle on is that people are going to be like just little flames of light, um, so that you're aware of them as, as, someone like you, like a reflection of, you know, if, if you, if you subscribe to the idea of sort of a divine divineness in and of this all, it's like, it's kind of maybe a cheesy representation of it, but hopefully it'll be cool in a VR experience. Um, and one of the things that we're actively avoiding is the sort of disnification of magic in these spaces, right? So like, you're not going to be pointing a wand with sparks coming out because I think that cheapens it. Um, so I think um, thinking about a VR temple space, um, we're trying to identify what are those qualities in a virtual space that don't exist in a physical space um, and can only be virtual but aren't simulations. That is, like, what's the nature of that that virtual space? Um, it's what's its true name if you could do that. Um, so, uh, and it's been a really interesting, like, kind of thought experiment too. Actually, trying to figure this out. Um, uh, so, hopefully, we'll we'll get that done someday. But it's. Um, it's, it's not a small thing making uh, interactive space. Um, it just, it takes a lot of different skill sets and a lot of different time. It lends itself to collaborative praxis. Um, so uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, first off, that sounds amazing. And if I ever get VR, I would love to hear more about that uh, space because I'm sure by the time I would even potentially buy VR, it would be up and running <laughs> um, very far out from now. But, you know, you make a good point of, um, you know, you don't want to Disneyfy the space. You want to make sure that you already know this isn't a video game. We're not playing which, which, which is and whatever. You want to have an actual real experience. And, um, you know, I was thinking of overall just what we talked about and how, VR could be a good option for those who maybe live far away from a group and, you know, maybe there's some accessibility issues or just distance issues, or this could be a good option for people who want another type of magical practice. But I started wondering, and I don't know, I'd love to hear your perspectives on this. Like, do you think that this could be a good system for somebody who is very much in their head in terms of reality of, um, which I think we should all be pretty grounded, but in terms of having trouble shifting to that magical focus and the re you know, once I kind of was thinking about that question, because on one hand, I think it could be kind of a interesting thing because then if somebody could see kind of what was going on in a space, like it might be able to help them, but we also want to make sure we're not teetering that line of it's you know, a video game. We want a real authentic experience, but then, you know, if you're going through this, you want to make sure 
I'd imagine that the energy that you're feeling in these spaces is happening on your real physical body, right? And you got to kind of separate that, you know, you have this virtual mindset, then you have this other part of you that's in VR, but then you have another part of you that's very much grounded here in reality. But then you have another part of you that is trying to feel these energies. And, you know, it's a lot of different ways to split yourself up. And I don't know, I just see this is the thought spiral I'm telling you guys about. <laughs> I'm just like spiraling into all of these thoughts. Like, what do you do? How do you do this? Is this a good idea for people with reality? Does it have anything to do with what I just said about feeling energy? I don't know. <laughs> I just lost the train of thought. You never ever had that happen where you started to think about it and then you lose it. God damn it. So say that, say what your question was again, one more time. Um, I, I don't see, I had, a, I started with a question and I ended with something else because that's how these spirals go. The original question was, do you think that this is a good Thing for people, a good tool for people to use who are having trouble, you know, taking themselves into a ritual space. Like they're 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 having trouble kind of opening that door. You know, maybe being in a VR setting will can maybe help that a little bit. But then once I started talking about that, I then started thinking about well, what about the energy? They got to make sure they're feeling that in real life. Like, and you also don't want this to be like a. This might not be the right word, but like a pacifier in a way for them. You got to make sure that. If they are, well, I mean, if they're trying to do this in real life, you want to make sure that this is not like the safety blanket or the thing they need to do every single time. You have to make sure you can shift away from that. But then for some people, this could be an everyday thing. You see, like I'm going off again. Here I go. Yeah. (laughs) There's so so many thoughts with this. Yeah. I would say the key is to, to see it as a tool and understand that it should only enhance your practice, not replace anything. Um, And I think that for someone to use like the potential tools and usability of a virtual space to give a visual for things that in our real world, maybe we don't have a visual representation for that. It's more of a felt than seen thing. I think that you could attempt to do that, but I think that it would be a very slippery slope. I think you could rapidly get into people fabricating experiences. You could get into a situation where someone becomes so reliant on that visual that they're not, it's actually impeding because they think that that's how it has to be represented. Um, I would say that while the temptation would be there to give things a visual that maybe our eyes, at least untrained eyes normally can't see, I would steer away from that, me personally, because then you're starting to get into a lot of issues with people fabricating things are becoming too reliant on what normally untrained eyes are not able to see. So then are you, when you're doing these VR rituals, is the point to try to feel the energy within the space? Like what, or I guess if you were to do a VR ritual and let's say some sort of spirit did come in, how would you know what's real and what's fabricated? Yeah, I think, um, so unfortunately, I think a lot of that comes back to um, uh, your daily meditation discipline. And as much as like we all freaking hate it probably, and anybody who says they don't hate it's probably lying a little bit maybe sometimes. Um, I don't know. I mean, it is great. It is terrible. Um, But I think having an awareness of your own mind, like just knowing what your own mind is doing, um, even a little bit um, will help you with discernment broadly. And so whether your magic is in meat space or in VR space or etheric astral spaces, right? Um, that discernment, that the importance of discernment never goes away. 
Um, and so uh, uh, folks like Josephine McCarthy and Jason Miller, like have both written about this a lot, really, really well, um, that it, when you're starting off, you know, if you're, if you're brand new to a magical practice, right? Um, the thing that you want to do is not over, over judge things as they're happening, um, but then spend a lot of time journaling about it after the fact and processing and exercising discernment, like practicing thinking about um, what were the events that gave you that impression that you had an experience with the spirit and, and pushing against them, like testing them. But when you're in that moment, letting that happen. And I think in some ways, um, VR spaces could potentially be really good spaces for people to like not overthink, right? Because they're thinking, oh, well, it's VR. So obviously it's none of this is real because it's not real magic because it's VR. So, I mean, maybe if they're skeptical about it as a magical tool, it might actually be a good training tool for helping them not overanalyze experiences as they're happening. Um, possibly. Uh, but, uh, but I totally agree. It could be like, um, uh, yeah, a pacifier to like that kind of hard work of, of practicing discernment um, uh, after you're practicing trying to be open to an experience. Um, those two things are challenging and just, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think you can avoid that. Um, but it's, it's sort of like, we don't know, right? Like we haven't, I mean, some people do know, right? Some people I'm sure have been doing VR rituals and have probably tons of data and I hope they listen so they can share that in a spreadsheet, preferably. Um, so <laughs> tell me you're an academic without telling me you're an academic <laughs> or a researcher. I, I will get all my IRBs in line. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, the way you find out if it does more harm than good in some cases is you have to collect that data. Um, now the harm we're talking about is, you know, in the grand scheme of things, especially nowadays in the U S it's pretty minor. So, um, I think, uh, if you have a working group and you have somebody who's, who loves VR and is really interested in it, um, and you're working on discernment, you know, uh, if, if you're working with that person in a capacity as being a, a teacher of some form, um, it's up to you to have those hard conversations with them and try to figure out and get familiar with the technology and get familiar and find out like, is this uh, actually getting in the way of their project, pro uh, their work, or is there a way we could leverage this to help them learn these skills because they're already an adept in it, right? Um, so I, it's, I think we don't have those grimoires yet, but by the end of the century, I'm sure we will. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I think could also come into this is, uh, and Ashley, I think you touched on it for a moment, um, kind of this idea of like splitting yourself too many different ways and thinking of like, well, is this my, my virtual self experiences? Is this my real self? To me, and the way I see the world, the way I see existence is ultimately your consciousness is what's experiencing it. So for me, like my senses are enhancing my consciousness and its perception of reality. And since for me, virtual spaces could potentially be seen as another type of plane of existence, another aspect of existence, um, there's not as much splitting going on. Understanding that maybe the senses is getting more inputs than you're used to but it's still your senses. So phantom sense, while it may not be actually touching your physical skin, it's still your brain 
taking those perceptions. So it's, there's not for me at least as much splitting going on because it's understanding that like if I'm feeling it and that allows me to, to do my practice, to do my workings, then that's what's important for it. Trying to figure out like, which is this my real self that's feeling? This is my virtual self that is this all in my head, that kind of stuff. I feel like when, if you start to split it too much, it starts to be overthinking it. And so instead just accepting it and saying, this is my perception of what's happening and not calling into question as much of, is this the real or the physical self that, or the, the virtual self that's, that's experiencing it, I think would help. Um, obviously that's based off my way I see the world and the way I see VR and things like that, that may not necessarily work for other people who don't see it that way. Um, but for me, that helps to not really feel like I'm having to split myself. You know, I, I, I'm thinking too, maybe I'm judging myself too, or, or judging this too harshly uh, when it comes to the splitting myself, because if, if, for example, I do a guided meditation with friends online, but I'm home alone, I mean, I know, hey, I'm supposed to be feeling my own reactions to this, even if I'm, you know, off doing whatever with friends, you know, in a, in, in my mind, for example. And I'm like, well, is there that much of a difference between that, that and VR? Like, am I just being a little biased about it because I don't know about it? And I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, there's a lot of things I have to question within myself uh, with this, but I think I am absolutely open to the possibility of it. I don't know if I would personally be able to do it because I get motion sickness, <laughs> like video games. So I don't think I'd be able to do a whole thing of VR, but maybe one day um, it'd be it'd be something cool. Yeah, I was going to say with the motion sickness thing, um, uh, so the Oculus Quest 2 is, right now is one of the, the cheaper headsets you can get, um, and it's pretty good. There's some good stuff on it. Um, some libraries actually in some cities have them, and they'll check them out, even I've heard. So, um, and, and certainly universities do. Like, I know my university has them, and they'll check them out to people. Um, but one of the things that I, I, as much as I'm not crazy about how they're part of Meta now... Um, uh, one of the things that is cool about their setup is that they have ratings for different games about the comfort level, like they call it comfort. And so they, you know, you can watch like a video of the thing um, in the headset to decide, just like a TV screen, and you can decide if it looks like something you want to download and try or not. Um, but then you can collect data about it, to sort of learn more about it. It's like, basically like it's rating, you know, um, what type of game it is. Um, and one of the things that they add to that is comfort. And, and my experience with that, because I'm, I was like, a 48 year old, I get wicked easy motion sickness. Like, I mean, I, you know, sitting up from a chair, I'm like, Oh no, it's like a roller coaster. <laughs> um, so I'm really sensitive to it. And um, I've definitely found, found kind of my niche of things in there, which I've been totally fine. Um, you know, with that said, like one of the senses that we don't think about is our sense of gravity and height. Um, and uh, one of the things is that that's so closely tied to your ocular experience that um, a poorly designed VR experience can make you feel like you're falling by accident. Most are really pretty good about that nowadays. But in the early days of VR, like, <laughs> you know, you'd see these people stumbling around because of, of what was happening in a visual plane. Um, and similarly, with, this, with the sort of smell-o-vision version, which I'm super excited about, you know, of course, your sense of smell and taste are connected. So, you know, if you needed to taste some salts to, like, ground yourself, I, as a magical experiment, I'd be really curious to see how effective that would be. My, my hunch is that it might not be that effective, but that's that's me being skeptical. <laughs> yeah, there, there are so many things and thoughts and ways to 
just even comprehend this topic. Um, I think it's much more complicated and complex than it originally sounds, which is why the first time I heard Ajane talking about this, I was like, no, no way. But then the more <laughs> they were all talking, I was just like, wait, but now I am questioning my own bias. And wait, now that you're making really good points. And like, why couldn't this work? And yeah, but you know, that's just my opinion on this. There could be somebody who listened to this entire episode who probably thinks that everything we're talking about sounds just completely like a video game. And I mean, we're trying very hard to steer away from that and make it clear that that would not be the goal with this. But we're not all going to have the same opinion about um, topics, especially things like this. You know, when you start involving technology in a more heavy sense into witchcraft and ritual, you know, people can get very sensitive about that, rightfully so. Um, Everybody's entitled to how they feel about things. And, you know, this is certainly an interesting topic that I would love to see how this progresses into a magical sense in, you know, the the coming years. So I guess I wanted to ask if anybody was interested in doing VR ritual, um, do you both have any recommendations of any systems they should use or check out if they wanted to buy some stuff? Yeah. So Reno already mentioned the, uh, the Oculus Quest 2 or the Meta Quest 2. I think they're now branding it as. Um, that's probably one of the lowest price points and the easiest, uh, most accessible for most people. Uh, it's typically around $300, which I know is still a lot of money. Um, but that is one of the lower price points for VR currently. I've seen it on sale for as low as $200 um, new, and you may be able to get it even cheaper used, um, which is good. That is going to have the headset, and it will have um, the hand trackers, uh, the controllers. So it will detect movements for your hands. I don't believe those controllers do finger movements so much. You may have some very minor, but not really. Um, I personally use the Valve Index. Um, it is a much more expensive system. It's usually $1,000. Um, there's also some differences in the technology. The Oculus headset um, uses inside-out tracking, which basically means the headset is detecting what the controllers are doing. And the Valve Index uses um, outside-in tracking, so it has base stations. So that increases the cost as well. Um, the advantage with that is you can do full-body tracking with um, the Valve Index. Um, there's ways to do it with the Oculus, with the, the Quest 2. I'm not going to go into that. Um, the Index, that's what I use. That has the finger movement, so it can detect um, limited finger movement as well. Um, it does the full body tracking, and it seems to be that um, most of the emerging technology with like smell and the haptic stuff and all that is being tailored towards um, that device and by their company. Um, so Vive worked with Valve to make that headset. Vive also has their own headsets. Um, I'm not familiar on their full line because they keep making new ones and I can't keep up with them. Uh, they've got several different ones. They've got the Vive Pro. Um, they've also got something that's similar to the Quest 2, which I'm blanking on the name for. Ren might know. Um, but all those devices, so I would look into Meta or Oculus um, Valve and then Vive. There's several other companies that make them as well at various price points. Um, but I think that that's kind of a good starting point for people. And Ren, I don't know if you've got more at, more to add to that. No, I think I think that's 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 more than I know. So, <laughs> <laughs> do you need headphones with that as well, or do you just need the Oculus or the the headset? I should say. So the Quest 2, I believe, has um, like speakers on the sides that will send the audio to your ears. 
Um, but ultimately, it's not enclosed around your ear. So if you're in a loud space, you may have a little bit of difficulty hearing it. The advantage is you don't have anything resting on your ears or in your ears, which can help um, feel a little bit more natural for some people. The, um, the Valve Index has headphones that can swivel. And if you place them correctly, they can sit directly over your ears. Um, and so it ends up pretty much blocking sound outside um, for the most part. So you can only really hear what's coming from the software uh, in VR. And then um, I know there's adapters you can get from various different companies and some of the other headsets have it built in where you can use earbuds with it. Um, there's a lot of aftermarket stuff. So third-party companies who sell additional headsets or earbuds that you can use with the various devices. There's kind of a degree of customization for what people are looking for. Um, but I would see that the basic options, um, either the speakers that are built into the Quest 2 or the headphones that are on like the Valve Index or the Vive Pro are all pretty good. And I think that that would suffice with it. Cool. All right. Um, well, we are getting close to about an hour and a half in. <laughs> Do you have any closing thoughts that you would like to speak about VR and witchcraft as a topic and all that anything we didn't address or any final words? So if listeners are really interested in digital technologies and magical practices, there's a couple of episodes on the Arnomancy podcast where he's talking specifically with um, magicians who are also technologists, and they bring up some really interesting ideas and some really interesting points um, that I think are applicable to, to magical practices really, really broadly, whether you identify it as a witch or a sorcerer or a magician or a hermeticist or something else. Um, and uh, I think it's important to like broadly read about magical practices because um, once you start to learn about what other magical practices are doing, it really liberates you in your own to think about, you know, what are the different uh, materia magica that I, I use and how do I use them? Um, you might discover that, for instance, in your system that you use and you love, um, air is in the east. And then in this other system, all of a sudden air is in the south and your mind is blown and you can't even get your head around it. But that's a thing. Um, so I think uh, really um, exploring what uh, other occultists are doing with digital technologies, I think is a really great way of kind of opening up that up that resource and witchcraft spaces. Um, and also like just helping us be more discerning about our own biases within our craft practices too. Yeah. And um, I know we've kind of said it several times, but just to go back to the whole consideration, like this is something for us to talk about and consider. And for those who can find useful ways to incorporate it into their practice, into their rituals, into their magical workings, you know, that may be able to do that. Uh, it's a great thing to talk about and consider. We're not trying to tell anyone that this is a replacement or you need to do this or anything like that. It is just a tool. So I just want to reiterate that. I know I've said it a couple of times, but just reiterate, like this is just something to consider. That's all it is. Something to talk about and to maybe have an open mind about. And if it's not for you, totally fine. Completely understand it. And I, there's no judgment whatsoever. That's, that's totally okay. But for those who maybe it is something that's useful, then that's something they can look into. Maybe people can develop better technology, better software, and it can be something in the future that is even a better experience and maybe more people can be open to it later. Oh my God. And if you try this out, let us know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let us know. I want to hear about this. <laughs> 
Okay, cool. Um, so just one more final thing. Um, it's something I ask everybody at the end of the episode. So whoever wants to go first is fine. Does not have to be related to this episode whatsoever. Does not matter. Could be anything. If you had to give one piece of advice to somebody who is just starting out in witchcraft, they might not have even cast a circle or picked up a single book. This might be the the first thing they've ever heard about this topic. Can be anything. What would you tell them? Just do the thing. Just do the thing. I know everybody says that, literally that. Just do the thing. <laughs> uh, I would say just have an open mind and then do the thing. Um, even if, you know, you don't... If you have a preconception of what um, ritual or practice or magical workings should be, just have an open mind that maybe there's another way of doing it, of seeing it, of experiencing it. Um, and if you have no background whatsoever, then just go in and um, learn as much as you can and understand that what you know, and what you understand may develop as you go, even if it doesn't make sense at first. I love that. That's great advice and um, cannot understate that sometimes when you imagine that ritual is going to go a certain way, working is going to go a certain way, I can almost guarantee you it never actually goes that way in reality. <laughs> it never goes the way you expect. And that's uh, that's that, that's witchcraft for you. Except sometimes it's even better when it doesn't go that way. Mm-hmm. True. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love it. Um, and I'm not being sarcastic when I say that <laughs> some of my best experiences <laughs> that I've ever had spiritually or in a ritual setting or what have you is when something completely unexpected happened. Cause I'm just like, Oh, there's the magic. <laughs> there's the witchcraft that I, I was thinking about. Okay. Your hair catches on fire and you're like, Oh, there's also the magic. <laughs> yeah. The, no, that's the, we don't like that type of magic. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Okay. Well, if any of you are interested, uh, if any listeners wanted to get in touch, um, is there any way they could reach out? Yeah. So um, I, they can reach me at email, but um, at hawkfirecoven at gmail.com. And that's also my website and blog. It's hawkfirecoven.com. And if anyone wants to reach me, they're welcome to do so via email at a i g n e k-y-r-a at gmail.com that's ajne kira perfect thank you both so much and i'll have that information as well in the episode description so feel free to look for their information there um if you want to find me i'm pretty much all over social media i'm not on virtual reality so not necessarily there but i am on social media i am on instagram at seeking witchcraft uh, I'm on Twitter at Seek Witchcraft, Facebook at Seeking Witchcraft Podcast, which is really just a like page with memes. But there is a Facebook group associated with it called Witches Seeking Witchcraft. And um, that's also a good place where a lot of people will post about their episode, you know, questions or if they wanted to kind of just reach out to, I don't know, us and <laughs> say anything about that. Uh, so feel free to join that as well. I'm also on Patreon at patreon.com slash Seeking Witchcraft. And we have a Discord and we do a book club there. And some fun times over there but yeah so that's how you can reach all three of us um thank you again so much for coming on i was so excited to record this episode and this is you both have been such a delight like th this has been so great and i am really excited to see the feedback of this um i would love to know what the wider witchcraft community what they're going to say about this <laughs> so i guess we'll all stay tuned for that but thank you again so much everybody for listening and we'll talk to you all very soon bye 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.